Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. Maggie came into my life in the fall of 2002 when I knocked on her door of the apartment of her independent living community where they provided her room and board and little else. And I was a very inexperienced social worker. Um, and I was there to check on her um, because, of, uh, because she had come to the attention of adult protection. I knocked on her door and she reluctantly let me in. And what I found was a severely malnourished 82-year-old woman. She weighed 78 pounds. When I touched her back, I could feel her ribs. She was missing most of her teeth. She had very poor vision, and she hadn't stepped outside of her apartment in about two years. She had no one. She was divorced, and her ex-husband had died. She had a child, but she was estranged from that child and had no desire to reconcile. And after two years of being so isolated, all friends were gone. And so she had no one. When, when I came in, she was so frightened. And she said, usually I'm not a rude person, but would you please, please leave? And my heart broke for her. I knew then that she had a kind and gentle spirit and she couldn't be mean even when she tried. So, <laughs> the reason I was at her door was that someone had mercifully called Adult Protective Services. Her self-neglect was life-threatening. And so, because she had no one, a professional guardian was appointed. And that guardian hired me. And my job was to find her a place to live, to deal with her medical needs, to assess her social and emotional health, and um, to look at her quality of life. And I knew the mechanics of the job. What I didn't yet have was the heart for the job. My dirty little secret was that I wasn't even sure I liked old people. Um, I found them rigid and impatient, and I thought they talked way too much about their health. <laughs> but I'd agreed to try. So I had a handful of clients, and I was just kind of checking out to see if it would work. The guardian hired me to be not only her social worker, but also to be her companion, and I was to see her twice a week. She was moved to an adult care home and it wasn't going well. She would lay in her bed all day every day with her face toward the wall, and she didn't read, she didn't watch TV, she just laid there. And she wasn't eating. When I would encourage her to eat, she said, I don't want to eat, I just want to die. I kept going to see her twice a week. In the beginning, she was uh, a bit agitated by my conversation, it was just too much because she was so used to being isolated. But 
over a couple of weeks, she started to relax a little bit, and she would share three or four words at a time. She started eating about eight or 10 bites a day, which was progress. So the next thing I thought was, I need to get her out of the house a little bit because the staring at the wall was not good. So I took her, I asked her if she would go with me for a short drive through her neighborhood just to look at fall leaves. I had taken her once to the doctor and she'd had a panic attack on the way. And so I wasn't sure she'd say yes. But she did. And we had a nice drive and it went well. So I tried again, and the next time we went a little bit further, we went up along the Sandy River, and the next time we went along the gorge. One day I walked in, and she looked up at me, and she smiled. She smiled. That was a big day. So we, we went for these drives, and then I decided the next thing was to get her out around people a little bit. She was really resistant to being around people. She was very self-conscious about her appearance. And she, she just didn't want to. So I thought, well, what, how could I entice her? So I said, is there anything that sounds good to you? Anything that you miss? Anything that you crave? And she said, I really like martinis and cheesecake. <laughs> I can do martinis and cheesecake. I, that I can do. So I would find these little restaurants that were kind of dead in the afternoon, um, and we'd go in and we'd have martinis. She'd have martini. I had cheesecake. I was working. Um, and that kind of became our ritual. And she started kind of sharing about her life. She started telling me um, about her travels. She kind of lived all over the world. And she had a great sense of humor. She told me about um, going to a nudist colony with her husband and sitting across from a gentleman at dinner and being terrified the entire meal that he was going to spill his hot soup in his lap. And then she would just howl with laughter. And her laughter warmed my heart. So. One of these days, we were out getting our regular martinis and cheesecake, martini and cheesecake, <laughs> and I noticed that when she took a drink, she would take a wad of napkins and hold it quickly up to her nose, and she did it every time. And I watched closely and realized that when she was drinking, most of what she was drinking was coming back out her nose. I took her to the doctor, and he said, she said, um, she took me out in the hall, and she said, Dana, she has cancer of the palate, and it's eaten away the roof of her mouth, and I can look up and see her sinuses. She said, it's very aggressive. It, I saw her two months ago, and her palate was normal. She referred us to a specialist that day who broke the news to Maggie, and the doctor said that she really wasn't strong enough for chemotherapy, but that she could do radiation. And she said, no, she didn't want radiation. But after a couple weeks, she said, could I change my mind? I'm not ready to die yet. So I took her to radiation every day for six weeks. And it was miraculous. The tumor disappeared. 
shrunk and disappeared. The hole was still in her palate, but the tumor was gone. And so we celebrated. For 10 glorious months, we celebrated. There was lots of martinis and cheesecake. Um, and we went to the zoo. We went to the Japanese gardens. We went to the tulip festival. We went antiquing. We went to the casino for her birthday. We went to the beach. We had a great time. And I often wish she was my grandmother. And I fell in love with Maggie. And I lost all my boundaries. I could no longer distinguish between my personal feelings and my professional ones. Then she began to lose some weight. And her swallowing was more difficult. And I took her back to the doctor, and he said the cancer has come back, and there's no more treatment. She felt pretty good still, so we kept going. We went to Mount Angel. We went to Harbor, or the Hoyt Arboretum. We went along the gorge. And then the headaches were bad, and she got weaker, and she couldn't go out anymore. I took her to a doctor, and he said, the only thing I have to offer her is a feeding tube. Almost no one chooses a feeding tube. She was very frightened by the idea of a feeding tube, but I was very frightened by the idea of losing Maggie. So I minimized her fear. I told her it would all be okay, and I pushed her. I said, if you do this, you're going to feel better. You're going to have more energy. We'll be able to go out and go and do things again. You'll get stronger. And so she said yes. She said yes because she didn't want to disappoint me. And I didn't realize the power that I had over Maggie because I was all she had. Well, I was wrong. She didn't get stronger. She didn't gain weight. She didn't get more energy. She was still bedridden. She got an infection in her port. She had terrible headaches, and the cancer spread to her jaw. Hospice was brought in to keep her comfortable, and she died on a warm September day in 2004, two years after I met her. And I was heartbroken. A couple of years later, I was given her ashes, and I had promised to go and take them to the beach and scatter her ashes. I went to my favorite beach, Fogarty Beach, and I threw the ashes out into the ocean, and they blew right back on me. <laughs> and I stood there covered in her ashes and thought about the lessons that I'd learned from Maggie. I learned that I love seniors. They're interesting and complex and challenging. I learned that working with seniors in crisis is what I was meant to do. I learned that a diet of martinis and cheesecake can be much more healing than any medicine. I learned that very wounded people can be incredibly resilient and courageous if they have love and connection and are well cared for. And most of all, I learned that my love has 
great power to bring healing and joy, but it also has the power to inflict pain. For in encouraging her to get her feeding tube, I had added to her pain and extended her suffering. And that remains a huge regret. So I've changed. Don't get me wrong, I still fall in love with my clients. I do. But I have spent the rest of my career working very hard to distinguish between my clients' needs and my own and to put my clients first. 